Hello, my name is Andrew Gary, and welcome to Seismic Sound Off in depth conversations in applied geophysics. In this episode, I speak with Steve Sloan, Special Section Coordinator for September's The Leading Edge Exploring Smart City Geophysics. Steve highlights the wide array of papers highlighting the tools and techniques used to achieve the best results in less than ideal environments. We discuss the importance of geophysics in urban settings, how geophysics is uniquely suited to work in these environments, and the benefits afforded geophysicists even in high noise surroundings. We also discuss the role of privacy in obtaining data in urban settings. This is a great primer on the near surface and its value in major population areas. Steve Sloan is a research geophysicist at the U.S. Army Engineer Research and Development Center in the Geotechnical and Structures Laboratory. He currently serves as the past chair of the SEG Near Service Technical Section and is a member of the SEG Council and the editorial board of The Leading Edge. For the full show notes and links to the papers, visit seg.org forward slash podcast. Now for our conversation. So thanks for joining me today, Steve. You know, we're looking at the September The Leading Edge special section today. And, and what stood out to you from the papers highlighting smart city geophysics? Well, I think it really shows the wide range of applications and novel studies that are being worked on out there by different researchers and different research groups. Uh, there's kind of two sides to the to the city part. You've got, um, I think, your conventional applications in urban environments, as well as looking at uh, more of the smart city part of, you know, how do you how do you use uh, sensors and information to things to help drive decision making. And so it's kind of a, an interesting dynamic there, definitely with some overlap between the two. But being in an urban environment, you've got a lot of unique challenges. Um, so fighting the, the noise versus using the noise to your advantage, different methods of data acquisition and instrumentation, things like that. So it's kind of just been interesting to see the, the, the wide range of, of things that folks are, are working on out there. Yeah, and speaking of those challenges of, of noise in an urban setting, I, I imagine for a lot of geophysicists that that just feels like a worst case scenario to have to do something like that. Uh, are there actual advantages? You mentioned there are. You know, what are some of those advantages to working in an urban setting for a geophysicist? Well, it's definitely challenging. I mean, you think uh, of an urban environment, you've got all kinds of different noise sources, from air traffic to vehicles, pedestrians moving. Uh, industrial work going on, electrical noises, kind of you name it, and it's it's out there. But on the same hand, there's it, there are lots of sources out there. So from like a passive seismic perspective, then there's a lot of uh, a lot of energy that's being generated. It's it's a little more complicated since you, since you got it coming from all different directions, and there's there's a lot of it coming at once. But there's there's lots of different types uh, with different frequencies. So a lot of things that you can take advantage there uh, from a passive perspective. And then when you when you look at some of the newer stuff that's been coming out in the last decade or so, uh, like the distributed acoustic seismic, you know, you think of a, an urban environment and there's fiber optic cable everywhere now. Um, so really you, you have a city that's already networked up um, in terms of, of seismic sensors. So it's a matter of figuring out how you can tap into them and, and use it. What is important generally about the use of geophysics in these urban settings? 
Well, I think one of the big ones is uh, urban environments are population centers. So, uh, you know, it's where you have uh, a whole lot of, of people um, living and working uh, all in the same space there. You got lots of subsurface infrastructure, whether uh, it's uh, utilities or, or transportation. A lot of times they're constrained in terms of uh, amount of land to, to be able to sprawl out. So things go, go up uh, often instead of out. Being able to understand and identify geohazards uh, like earthquakes, landslides, or, or tsunamis, uh, or resource management such as uh, groundwater or, or geothermal. I think you got cities in, in lots of different environments, whether it's in the mountains or in deserts, uh, cold environments, hot environments, on the coast. Uh, so there's some unique different challenges associated with each one and, and lots of different geophysical tools that can kind of play into them. Yeah, and, and speaking of those tools, what, what makes geophysics particularly well-suited to the challenges of urban city development? Uh, well, the different methods have pros and cons associated with them just uh, in general, but certainly with, with urban environments as well. But uh, for the most part, they're, they're non-destructive, um, especially airborne or surface-based measurements. Um, so you don't have to, to get into the ground to use them. In an urban environment in particular, especially with, with new construction and new utilities going in all the time, you've got the potential to build in sensor networks, whether it's um, taking advantage of those uh, fiber optic cables or starting to, to instrument your, your bridges or your buildings uh, or some of your, your infrastructure there. And the infrastructure is already in place there to, to be able to pass that information in terms of a lot of the subterranean conduits and, and utility corridors that, that you can run a lot of this through. One of the things that I think you're seeing more and more in some of the, the publications is you got lots of people, which means you got lots of smartphones these days and lots of potential for possible uh, sensors and interactions there to take advantage of. And, and let's look at some of the papers in this special section. What advantages did McComas et al. discover when they themselves took advantage of techniques developed by the nuclear monitoring community for case studies within these urban settings? Yeah, that was a, an interesting paper. So infrasound, I think, historically has been mostly used to monitor nuclear blasts and nuclear testing um, by different countries uh, around the world. Um, it's it's sub-20 hertz uh, energy. And here they're they're moving from these arrays that are typically laid out in, in quiet rural areas to putting them out in, in urban environments and and trying to figure out uh, how to deal with with all those different um, noise sources um, that, that we talked about a minute ago but putting sensor arrays out that that can go on rooftops or uh, in some cases blending in uh, with the surrounding infrastructure and parks and things like that and so they're developing some novel methods to, to monitor and assess infrastructure like bridges and, and dams without necessarily having to be out in, uh, in the rural environments. How can future geophysical surveys take into account some of the lessons and conclusions from Dean and Al-Hassani? Well, I think, I think it's just assumed that if you're working in an urban environment, you're going to have higher levels of noise, uh, and there, there's no way of getting around that completely. So there's going to be some level of it that comes with your data. But I think what, what they pointed out is that if you understand those sources, uh, where they're coming from, when they're coming in, so what times of the day are, are, are different types more prevalent than others, 
then you can start to uh, take that into consideration for your survey design and your, your acquisition plan so that you can optimize the, the way that you're collecting data and try and uh, avoid some of those more, more problematic types for the type of survey that you're, that you're trying to get done. Yeah, and in and, and Yon et al., they, you know, we we're talking about eliminating noise, reducing noise. Well, in Juan et al.'s paper, they took advantage of the noise. So what was their novel approach in this paper? Yeah, that, that one was a, another interesting one. Um, they were using Rayleigh waves or surface waves that are generated by nearby vehicles and combining that with uh, lo- local uh, earthquake signals being produced and to generate uh, 2D shear wave velocity profiles and, and been able to figure out Poisson's ratio, both which are, are used uh, more on the, the engineering geophysics side. But uh, what was interesting is they were they were able to do that without having to cross-correlate these really long noise recordings. So ultimately, it uh, simplifies the, the processing and, and streamlines it a little bit. And um, their results ended up comparing favorably with an active source survey, um, whereas they were using... Um, DAS or distributed acoustic sensing. So they were taking advantage of having those fiber optic cables already in place in the ground as well. And then this was a, a new one in, in all my readings of the special sections of, of looking at consumer privacy being a, a focus. So, you know, why were the authors in Jacopudi at all concerned about privacy in their particular study? Yeah, that one was different. Um, and it, it really came from a different perspective that I hadn't thought about before. But you know, as, as these technologies improve, you, you really broaden the range of applications that they can be used for and uh, resolutions uh, are getting better. And then when you think about being able to combine different types of data, so um, if you're combining passive seismic with, say, a, a network of surveillance cameras in, in the city, and you can start tying those things together and putting together patterns of life and, and what different groups of people are doing or different neighborhoods or, or you know, there, there's a lot of different things that could come out of that. I know for me personally, I, I really wouldn't think about that until somebody pointed it out. But I guess with all things developed with the best intentions, but, uh, but some folks can always find uh, bad things to do with it too. So, so it's interesting to see that they're they're looking at, at it from that, uh, that perspective and, and trying to figure out how to be able to alleviate the public's concern about how, how data may be used and, and who it might be accessed by. Yeah, I was, I was a little confused in that paper of how, how even just tracking footsteps was, was such a, a giveaway of privacy. But, you know, what do you view as some of the helpful trade-offs in this thought process of between consumer privacy and obtaining useful geophysical data for infrastructure and seismic monitoring? That's a tough one. And I'm, I'm sure that one's uh, fraught with political landmines and all kinds of other stuff that, that I may not be the best one to, to answer. But I think one thing you can take away from that paper is even though they were removing some of the data to, to mask that or to, to mute out those things, is you still have useful data especially in, in that type of environment where you do have lots of noise sources and you do, in a passive sense, you just have these huge data volumes, there's still going to be plenty of usable stuff out there, even if you, you do end up having to pull pieces and parts out of it to, to be able to, to mask those things. Yeah, that's a, that's a good note there. You know, how do you see the techniques and case studies and the tools presented across these papers improving the industry? 
Well, I think it it opens up new uses and methodologies that that can really span different uh, different disciplines. Um, I think like structural engineering and civil engineering, hydrology, geothermal, geohazards, just to, to name a, a handful there. But there's a lot of different disciplines there that can that can work together and that can benefit from from these different types of information. Thinking about how you know, especially. More from a smart city aspect here, but how do you, how do you instrument up dams or or bridges or or buildings or things like that? That you know, from a pre-warning perspective for say earthquakes or tsunamis or looking at failure potential for for dams or levees, things like that. So I don't know. With me coming from the near surface side of things, I don't know if I see the necessarily the immediate things for industry as far as oil and gas exploration. But I think there's there's definitely a lot of things out there that are beneficial to uh, the the civil and the the near surface side of things. Well, I want I want to close with a, a couple of general questions as you've been in the industry a while, and and if you could just offer one piece of advice uh, for someone looking to succeed in near surface specifically, what would it be? Hmm. You know, I think the big one is uh, being flexible and, and somewhat dynamic. Um, I think it's it's easy to get stovepiped and get really specialized in some things. And um, I know for me personally, I've I've worked on and and very similar stuff for for the last ten years or so. And it's it's easy for me to get my blinders on and uh, and not pay attention to a lot of the other stuff going on and and keep up with what the new trends are and and uh, and what folks are working on. But being able to to be flexible and continue to learn new things, I think, would be probably the most important one. And lastly, if you could solve just one mystery as a scientist, what would you hope to solve? <laughs> uh, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? <laughs> that's a good one <laughs> i'm sure my, my son would love to know the answer to that one too <laughs> well maybe you can solve it together in the future uh, is there anything that i i should have asked you that i did not uh nothing i can think of uh you know I, i'll i'll say that um i think what some of the different papers in here show is that there's really is a lot of interesting work that's being done out there so it's kind of cool to see the different ideas and applications that folks are coming up with and the different perspectives that they're that they're coming from. So it's um it's just neat to see uh the the kind of work that people are doing that things I w- I would never think of myself. Yeah, this was a unique special section and and just focusing on cities but also the near surface aspect. It was uh, some novel articles for sure that I think a lot of people will find interesting. So thank you for highlighting those with us today and and working on on this special section. All right. Well, thank you. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening to SEG's flagship podcast, Seismic Sound Off. SEG produces these episodes to benefit its members, the geophysics community, and inform the public on the value of the science. To show your support for the show, please share this episode with a friend, colleague, or manager that would enjoy hearing this show. Your recommendation is the single best action you can take on behalf of SEG's podcast. Go to the website at seg.org forward slash podcast to find all the episodes and learn how you can subscribe for free directly on your phone. Original music by Zach Bridges. This episode was hosted, edited, and produced by Andrew Gary at 51 Features. 
The SEG podcast team is Ted Bakamjan, Jennifer Crockett, Ali McGinnis, and Mick Sweeney. Thank you for listening. This is Seismic Sound Off, signaling off.